Hey you guys, Kokomoko here, and I am back. I'm so happy to be back. I took two weeks off because I was traveling France. I went to Cannes Lion, got to speak on some panels. It was the best time of my life. And surprisingly, while I was gone, my podcast blew up and got more listens than I don't know where they came from. I just know that there was a lot, and I'm so grateful for that. So if you're new here, hi, thank you for listening. Today's episode is going to be about kind of the difference between Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and all of their different trajectories, where I think they're headed. And I speak to a special guest, Sarah McCord. She comes up on my For You page because she's a marketing and branding professional consultant. Um, I love when I get to talk to someone who's a professional in this space because for me, it can become an echo chamber. I have different theories and thoughts and That's why I love my podcast because I can talk to people who might have similar thoughts or different data to back up what, you know, their thoughts are, whatever it might be. And I think that her and I had a really great conversation about threads and what this means for just meta in general, what it means for social media in general. I made a video. I was waiting to go into a meeting with my talent manager and I was sitting in my car and I made a quick video about what I thought about threads. And it blew up. I mean, thank you. I didn't know that that video would blow up. Um, But I'm glad that you guys love to hear my rambling. So before I get into the interview, I do want to talk about something specific, which is kind of this difference between Instagram and TikTok, the way that I view it. And I want to get into a very distinct difference. And why I view these apps so differently. I know people think that TikTok and Instagram are competitors. I don't think they are. This is why. I think of Instagram as more of a utility. And if you know Mark Zuckerberg's way, he has always, in my opinion, framed Facebook and then Instagram and meta products as a utility. That's why despite massive hate, despite, in my opinion, very massive missteps that Instagram has made. And I've been very critical of Instagram and Facebook in the past, if you've listened to my podcast. Um, But I can say a win when I see one. But Zuckerberg was really great at making Facebook initially a utility. And so what do I mean by that? When you logged into any other app outside of Facebook, it let you log in via Facebook. And now that we have things like iCloud and Gmail, that's not as prominent anymore. But for me, for example, there were certain apps in the 2010s that I didn't want to delete or like I didn't want to delete my Facebook profile because my other apps were tied to my Facebook login and I didn't want to have to make all new accounts on these apps. So I think that Zuckerberg has always been really smart in tying his platforms into becoming a utility. And I think that Instagram is that one of my comments on one of my TikToks described Instagram as the modern day yellow pages and my mind was blown it's such a good way to look at it whenever I go on Instagram I'm posting it's like a portfolio I'm posting photos that I did this panel that I spoke at this thing that I have a podcast that like these TikToks blew up it's where I'm posting my achievements so that if someone's looking me up or someone wants to collab with me they go to my Instagram and they can kind of see what my history is like whereas TikTok there's so many videos that you wouldn't be able to know who I am immediately like you could with Instagram. And I honestly look at my Instagram as kind of like a Gmail. That is where I'm going to DM brands, to DM collaborators, to DM people that I want on my podcast. And 
I think of it as such, whereas TikTok for me is more of an entertainment platform. Same with YouTube. And I had a great conversation with a friend yesterday about this of she kind of disagreed like Instagram also is an entertainment platform. And yes, I do agree with that. But the point that I make is, have you ever heard of someone describe themselves as an Instagrammer? Oh, wait. No, exactly. Have you heard of someone describe themselves as a TikToker? Yes. Have you heard other people be described as a TikToker? Yes. Have you heard people be described as a YouTuber? Yes. So TikTok and YouTube have become extensions of the entertainment industry. They are now professions in the way that you can be a actor, singer, dancer. Now you can be a YouTuber. Now you can be a TikToker. But I've never heard anyone be described as an Instagrammer. Instagram is the utility. Everyone has an Instagram. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with Instagram. It just means that it is a utility. Instagram is kind of the home base that people go to to find you, to talk to you, to collab with you. That's just my opinion. Now, I think with the introduction of threads, my hope is that it's not going to be as negative as Twitter. I think that threads was so smart because in a world where Instagram included, everyone was trying to be TikTok look, no one's going to be TikTok. TikTok has an algorithm that cannot be matched. But everyone wanted to be TikTok. And you can't really go after TikTok when it's in A plus health, right? But no one was talking about making a Twitter competitor. And then overnight, Instagram launched threads. It was a super secretive project. We talk about in the, that in the interview. And the reason it blew up is Blue Ocean Strategy. Blue Ocean Strategy is something that I learned about in marketing in college, and there's a book that I have about it. Essentially, it is this idea where you want to go the opposite of what's trendy because it means that there's a gap in the market for the opposite of what's currently happening. And the reason they say Blue Ocean is because if you're fishing and you go to where all the blood is, where everyone else is fishing, it's going to be harder to catch fish because you're competing with a ton of other ships. But if you venture to sail out, you take a risk, you might fail a couple times, but you venture into the blue ocean alone, you'll eventually find fish and you won't be competing with anyone until they catch on. And I think that with threads, Instagram did blue ocean strategy. And I think that they know that Twitter has been struggling and this was the time to pounce. So those are my thoughts on all of this initially. Um, We're going to dive so much more into it in this interview, so I want to leave a lot of the meat of this podcast for that. I think that Sarah has amazing points. I'm going to link out her TikTok, and I'm going to link out her website, specifically the blog post that I read um, that she was updating about threads as it came out. And if you're not even interested in threads, that's okay. This conversation is just a larger conversation about where is social media headed, the trajectory of social media. As I think platforms are, like, I personally think that social media platforms aren't even going to exist anymore. I think that it's going to be entertainment and streaming platforms, TikTok, YouTube, versus utility platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Meta. So that's just my thoughts, but let me know what you think. You can comment on my TikTok videos that blew up about this, um, or you can DM me, whatever it is you want. I am going to roll the intro and I will see you on the other side. Will you tell my audience who you are and what your background is? 
Absolutely. Hi, I'm Sarah McCord. I run a values-led marketing agency. Really quick overview of how I got here. Over a decade ago, I started an editorial. I was a staff writer editor at The Muse. I was a contributor to Mashable, and I bylined on Business Insider, Cosmo, Forbes, Time, Newsweek, CNBC, syndicated across the web, more than 200 articles. Um, launched my communications firm in 2017 and really evolved with my clients. So we started as a content shop, became content strategy, became marketing strategy. COVID hit, everyone needed crisis comms, um, was really leaning into that. Um, and then I really got into audio. Like, and when I say I got into audio, I was running the brand for the number one morning show on Clubhouse um, in wow. 2021. Um, and then I kind of saw the writing on the wall that audio wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Um, came back to my own shop and was really integrating all of those different experiences together. So working with businesses of all sizes, brands, influencers across different platforms and mediums, and taking this idea of being a values-led firm and really um, being intentional about who we are in the world as we create mm -hmm. content. And, uh, and that's kind of how we connected. So I'm so excited to be yes. here. Yeah. I was telling my audience or I was telling you now my audience is hearing it that, so I found your TikTok through, um, you were covering the kind of the Tarte cosmetics thing that took over the for you page for a bit. And, um, I, yeah, I really just liked how thoughtful you were. And I, I feel like it's important. I know for like us to, I always think of myself as like, I'm a very privileged position. I'm a white woman. I have a college education and being able to like speak up for certain things that like, unfortunately, some people will only listen and learn if it's coming from someone that looks like them and it's not right. But I'm like, that's where I have to use my privilege when I can. And, um, and it really aligns with like both of us just working in PR and content strategy. And it's no longer that I think what I'm realizing with audiences as well, um, it's no longer that they want to be entertained, but they want companionship. I say companionship yeah. over entertainment. And um, they go to Netflix or HBO That's for so entertainment That's so interesting because I feel like the gap between entertainment and companionship is authenticity, which is like, and I've never oh gosh, conceptualized never it that way. That. Yes. That's amazing. Like, that's such a good way to put that's why I'm glad I'm having you on like those connections as well where but like audiences they go to the movies to be entertained mm -hmm. but then they're on their phones for companionship and yes you want to be entertaining but like more so um you know I will spend hours watching just a live stream on YouTube of like an anime character in a coffee shop while lo-fi music plays and it's just that I'm not watching the video visually. I just like to feel like I'm in a coffee shop with someone while I'm doing my work. Yeah. So I think that then starts to align with values and yeah. who you spend a lot of your time with is a reflection of what your values are or also what yeah. your values are not. Like having a community isn't saying everyone's here. We have millions of followers. It's also saying this is what's not going to be allowed. This is the behavior that's not going to be allowed because we're protecting people in the community. So yeah, I think all of that really aligns. Now, content strategy isn't just what pretty graphic to post on your story. It's 100%. now what are your values and how do you affirm them? I couldn't agree with you more. And again, I'm so excited to be in conversation with you because I love how you conceptualize things. When you're talking Thank about you. how you consume content, I saw the footage of you kind of challenging this notion of attention span, which I also feel like is really in alignment with the things that you're sharing. And just like, yeah. I love how you conceptualize things, but I couldn't agree with you more that 
we've really moved beyond, I would like to think as a society, or at least again, the people who you and I seem to be in alignment with, we've moved beyond, to your point, sort of um, empty representation um, Mm -hmm. to wanting to know what values a brand, an influencer, um, someone lives into. And that's where like, I always talk about attract repel marketing. And the more forward you are with your values, the more you're going to attract people who say, these are my people, this feels like a fit. I want to learn from them. I want to spend time with them. I want to buy from them. And the more you're going to repel people who aren't in alignment with your values. And that's okay because when your values driven, you're actually more profitable for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's such a good yeah. point. And it kind of, I like my brain works in analogies and the way I think of a lot Same. of brands <laughs> are so like afraid of, um, you know, taking a stance. And but I, But the way I think of it is like, the more information that you put out there, the more that people are going to learn about where you stand on things. And so mm-hmm. brands, they want to have a million followers and they want their interns to post 30 times a day. But they like if you are going to put out that much information about yourself, you are going to have to kind of, you know, be more clear about who you are. And so the analogy I think of is like these brands want to play ball, but they don't want to wear a uniform. Like they Mm. want to be on everyone's team. But like, if you want to play ball, if you want to post on TikTok, you have to put a uniform on. You have to say, this is where I stand. If I'm going to keep wanting to be in the game, if not, that's fine. Sit on the sidelines and just observe and know where your audience is. But yeah, so that's more of like the high level. I think of what I appreciate about your content too, is I think you're really good at articulating those things. Thank you so much. Well, and I am, I'm definitely wearing a uniform. You will know when you come <laughs> yeah. to my page, whether or not we we align. Um, mm-hmm. And I agree with you. And I think, um, I know that you cover a lot of trending topics. You know, really everything that happened with Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney couldn't yes. be a better representation of that. I actually yeah. was interviewed on the CEO of Anheuser-Busch's statement after the fact, where he basically said like, we don't want to do anything divisive. We just want everyone to drink beer together. And it was the most... Um, all we want to do is sell to everyone's statement. It was like, what is your brand yeah. value? Selling beer to everyone. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it, there really was a moment where, again, and so I would actually, going back to why leaning in, knowing and leaning into your values is more profitable, we have seen brands absolutely destroyed by just kind of floating out in the abyss yes. of popular opinion and swaying back and forth and not having any values to live into whatsoever. Um, and so if you have clear brand values, if, if part of your content strategy is somewhat risk assessment even, um, you know that if you have values and your community knows that you live into your values, then you're never going to have a career-ending campaign because you mm-hmm. know who you are, you know what you stand for, and you're not going to put anything out there that you're not proud of. Um, So you have to know what content is going to make you feel really good as a brand. And and if you need to take the time to sit back and workshop, and if your community feedback loops with you that you miss the mark, you can always evolve and grow in your brand new brand advice. And some of our favorite brands are the brands that like learn and grow with us. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's that Tyra Banks moment of like, I'm rooting for you. You know what I mean? Like, we're all rooting for you. Like, go learn. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I think knowing your values and living into your values, it will save you from the epic fails that we end up talking about on TikTok. I wonder if like what I think of too for the, um, the Bud Light situation is and like floating by, I think before the rise of really social media and kind of this like ability to source what brands have said immediately, if you've said something 10 years ago as a brand, like 
the audience feels like you said it the day that they discovered it. We're seeing that kind of like with the Colleen Ballinger situation, which her things were never okay to say, but like someone, oftentimes people will say, well, I said that 10 years ago, but to the audience, you said it the moment they found it. And Mm. I think with brands, the reason they were able to float by is because pre-internet and social media, there was no way for people to track where they stood 10 years ago. So like to the audience, they weren't like, they didn't really, maybe they took a stance on this one day, but there was no, yeah, I don't know if I'm articulating that. I think now brands, they're like, oh wait, we actually have a track record now and we have to stand by or if you don't have values, then that's where people are going to be able to fact check that you're swaying. No, you're so right. And I think two things. So first of all, to your point about Colleen Ballinger, um, first of all, what she did is like, as a society, there are things that we all agree are beyond the pale. So blackface is beyond the pale. Targeting children is beyond the, it's just beyond, it's, it's completely unacceptable. Um, also to your point, it doesn't matter that it was however many years ago, because let's say she had done these things that we all as a society say you can't come back from. But regardless, if those things had happened a decade ago and over the past decade, she had removed minors from her community, changed the spirit of her content online, donated to um, charities that uplift black creators. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if she had done, if she was like, I did that, it was disgusting. And here's the 10 years of the work that I did. And she'd also had a crisis team put out, put forth an appropriate apology evidencing all of that. Yeah. It might have been different. So again, it's it's having yeah. the brand values and it's leaning into the brand values. And I agree with what you're saying as well. And again, when we when we think about um, Dylan Mulvaney specifically, mm-hmm. we know that the Nike Run Like a Girl ad came out at about the same time. And in contrast to Bud Light, Nike came out and said, this is a community that doesn't accept hate. You will not leave any hateful yeah. comments. We stand with Dylan. And again, Nike, to your point, has that track record because they stood with Colin Kaepernick after he got released yes. from the NFL. And they released that commercial, that won Emmys. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're kind of like, we're going to stand with um, social causes. That's part of who we are as Nike. Yeah. And that was an evolution for Nike. Nike didn't start um, in that space. So, like, we can see these brands evolve and, like, again, be proud of them and want to buy for them. And if you are someone who burns your Nikes when that happened, either time. Again, that's attractive Paul marketing. And you can go buy a conservative yeah. Yeah. Um, athleisure brand. No one's stopping you. Yeah. That's, yeah. I that That's such, that's like totally on the mark with what I always say. It was, I think when I was at um, Cannes, it was a question I got, which was more, it was, how do you define culture? Um, mm. So similar, different, but I really, I was using that Bud Light, Dylan Mulvaney example of like, so many people, there's always, I'm sure you hear them all the time. There's always these buzzwords that people use in marketing or media. Um, Gen Z is a word that everyone used for the last three years. They could be talking about how to plant a tree, but if they said the word Gen Z in the title, like people were like, what are they talking about? That's so fascinating. But yeah. um, I think community is one of those words, authenticity, but and like culture. But for me, I really do think... Um, so much of it is these brands want to say, we have these big communities, like everyone loves mm-hmm. us, but so much of having a community, like the inherent um, basis of a community is also who's not in the community. Like it's about mm. a group of people coming together to also protect themselves from people who have institutionally harmed them. That's why they need a community because yeah. there's power in numbers. Um, yeah. And it's why usually marginalized groups have to seek out and build communities because it is power in numbers. And so like brands, again, they love playing, but not putting on a jersey. They want to say, we have this big community. 
But then like when that community asks them to advocate for them and keep others out of the fences who have hurt them, they're like, no, no, no. Like we want more followers. Like everyone's allowed. But then when everyone's allowed, you don't have a community. You're so right. And Dylan released that really important statement where she was saying that Bud Light hadn't reached out to her. And she even said, I would rather you don't work with trans influencers, to paraphrase, than work with us and not support us when this happens, which I really think just affirms, it absolutely affirms what you're making. I couldn't agree with you more. Totally. I know we like, this is, that's why I love like podcasting. I know we could have a hundred podcasts. I know. I'm like, we have to have a million other um, conversations together. But so now we're going to dive into threads, which is so fascinating. Um, I did a little bit of, I grabbed some data. So I'm going to talk about some of the, I'm just going to kind of, and you can interrupt me if you have points. And then I looked, you um, wrote an article about it, kind of like the 24 hours updates as threads have come out. So we'll, I want to talk to you about that as well. Um, and then we'll go into kind of our predictions on like what you think the impact is, but, um, so yeah, feel free to kind of jump in at any moment, but I saw a New York times article and for anyone listening, by the way, I'm sure you know what threads is, but it's essentially Meta's new Twitter equivalent that I think shot uh, in the New York times article I read, they were talking to internal employees, even it shocked them how successful this was. Like, it was like, wait, what? Like, they did not realize how great this app would be received. And of course, there's also pushback, which I always think an app is onto something when there's a lot of pushback because it means Mm. it's filling, like it's disrupting in some way, like TikTok. Everyone hated it for years um, because it was doing something different. But Mm -hmm. so New York Times, um, it broke the record for the most rapidly downloaded app with 30 million downloads in 16 hours. Um, They compared it to ChatGPT, which was lauded as a very quickly downloaded app as well, but that one got around a million downloads within five days. So just a comparison. Um, Yeah, New York Times described the atmosphere on threads as a user as celebratory. Um, Mm -hmm. This new site, Semaphore, they actually unearthed a letter that Twitter lawyers had sent to Meta threatening legal action in it. They um, they basically said that Meta poached Twitter employees and was using insider information to build out this app in which my response is like Twitter, like you laid off over 60 percent of your employees. I don't think it's poaching if someone yeah. in the industry happens to hire some of them. Mm hmm. So that was interesting. And for uh, numbers, um, Twitter, since Musk bought Twitter, the workforce dropped from around 7,500 employees to now it's sitting at around 2,000, which is a loss of over 60%, which um, if you work at a job, that would be if every two and three employees was gone. Um, That's crazy. Right. Yeah. And then um, one employee to New York Times noted that the morale was soaring internally after year of layoffs. And that um, this was interesting to me. The project internally was very secretive. They had a very small team working on building out the app. It took about seven months. Um, It was called Project 92. And Mm. there were secret versions of the app only available to certain employees. No other Meta employees could access it. Um, so they were testing it out with a very small team. And um, I think that's really interesting. Um, and yeah. then, yeah, I don't know if that's just like, it could be protocol. Again, Meta is a huge company. So like 
it's not like there's 10 employees just sitting in an office every day and that's the company. So I guess like maybe it is common sense that it'd be a secret, but I just think that was interesting. And then, um, um, one thing that, uh, New York times did note that I saw is that, um, users are fearful that you can't delete the threads profile unless deleting your IG, which we'll get into this at the end. And mm-hmm. I kind of touched on it in my TikTok video where like, again, I think, Meta is just wrapping up your identity in an app Mm. and like it's becoming more of a utility than an entertainment app. So I think that's part of like not being able to delete it unless you delete technically now what I consider is like your form of ID on the internet, at least in America, which is an Instagram more so than any other app. You have LinkedIn, but like I think Instagram is now like almost becoming a form of ID. Do you have any thoughts on that before I dive into a TechCrunch article? Oh my gosh, I have thoughts on all of it. Um, I have thoughts on all of it. So first of all, one of the things that I haven't seen more coverage around, and it really surprises me, is that when people were talking about how Meta borrows from other platforms, and this goes to what you were saying about Twitter um, employees, you know, people keep saying, oh, well, they took stories from Snap and they took, you know, reels from TikTok, and now they're finally taking something from Twitter. And what I'm surprised we haven't seen more coverage around, and I agree with you, it makes sense that they would, you know, be working with these sort of employees is that literally how we conceptualize Facebook, that homepage feed is derived from Twitter. So when we think about right. how these apps began, Facebook was a profile app. So like what I say to people who don't remember the Facebook when it came out, I do. The I Facebook, remember being yes. so excited when it came to my college. I was so oh excited. Right? I said like, think about like searchable hinge is like literally kind of like what Facebook was like when it started. It was profiles. It was just profiles. It was more in the MySpace era. And Twitter came on the scene with what are you doing? And people didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to type in. They had 140 characters and people would be like, I'm eating a sandwich for lunch. Um, And so Meta originally stole that. So when we talk about the Facebook news feed, like I think when people think about Facebook now, they think about their news feed. The entire concept of a news feed of updates from multiple profiles already came from Twitter. So they've already stolen from Twitter previously. This is nothing new. So the idea that they would be able to like lather, rinse, repeat, like getting the people from Twitter, getting the ideas, building the infrastructure and candidly like, you know, making it part of their identity is something that they've they've done before from this exact app. Um, And I don't think that we can overlook that. I love also what you're talking about around sentiment. It's so interesting to me, again, kind of going back to what we were saying around values, how like I think an employee's sentiment can impact the sentiment of the app itself. One of the things that I'm sure you've noticed about threads is that people are talking about how good it feels. And people are yeah. saying, is it because the bots aren't here yet? And to your the point you just made about Instagram being um, part of our identity, I love the TikTok that you did talking about Instagram as your business card and how you mm-hmm. think that that's going to eliminate the bullies and the doxing and all of that because it's integrated with people's Instagram accounts. Yeah. Um, and I, again, so I, um, because I spent a year working in social audio, I remember when Clubhouse came on the scene mm-hmm. and there was a similar, um, there was also some really ugly sides of the internet um, that we saw there, but there was also, there were rooms that were just like people, there was like a culture of giving people their flowers. Like there were oh also just God. a lot of like, really uplifting rooms, really positive sentiment um, before it became like the total content cesspool that it became that I think dragged the brand down. Um, And so I've seen this where people would join and they would just be like so excited because I think it takes away the pressure of showing up face first. 
Um, so I've seen this before where the fact that people have the freedom to like just share whatever they're thinking without worrying about what they're wearing, what their hair looks like, what their makeup looks like, they can just um, like share what they want to share. So it feels really positive to them. But I hadn't drawn the connection because I hadn't read the article. This idea that the employees were making it joyfully, I yeah. think that that translates. When they say that they launch lean and so you can only launch certain features, I think, and maybe this is going to sound like so woo and so whatever the case may be. <laughs> I love it. But like, I think if you're in a joyful environment, you're going to like be more likely to create a joyful product. Just like I think yeah. that everyone is that it's terrible to work at Twitter right now. And so I'm not surprised that like the outputs there, I mean, think about it. It's yeah. like all of the actual studies that we have around employee happiness and productivity. So it doesn't yeah. surprise me that a joyful sentiment and culture building the app would create an app that has an extremely positive sentiment. Totally. And that's such a good point. And I feel like maybe I'm biased too. And it was funny because when I made my TikTok, I was like waiting for my talent manager. We were touring something and I'm in my car and I'm in a parking lot. I got there early and I just filmed the video really quick. And some people are like, this is definitely sponsored. And I was like, I think I was critical of Instagram in the video about their discoverability. And I've historically been very critical of Meta, even just like privately in conversations. I just, um, I'm very critical of it. And, but this is like, I think I'm going to make the title of this podcast literally like Mark Zuckerberg finally gets a win. Like this is like, I can admit when it's a good app. And I think what you were saying about sentiment and like the building of it and how people feel internally translates. I think that when I think of reels and like, yes, the numbers are kind of there on reels, like in, in countries like India where TikTok is banned, they use reels a lot more, but you could just tell from my opinion that like reels was made from a place of fear. Like reels Mm. was like, Oh my God, we didn't take this TikTok app seriously. Users are like all over it. We're losing their time to TikTok. We need to compete. And it felt very fear-based. Whereas threads was just like, there's this gap in the market now and people Mm -hmm. like that quick, concise information. And what you said about, and it's in your blog post too, about not having to show up face first, um, I think is very, what's so refreshing about it coming from Instagram is Instagram was historically the perfection. The aesthetic platform. And they threw that all away with threads. And I love that. I always say like, if you want to do something that gets attention and is interesting, not like in a negative way, but just build a good brand or product, see what's trendy and then do the opposite of that. Cause it means there's a gap in the market for it. Um, And right now everyone's trying to do short form video and no one thought to make a Twitter competitor. Like I have not heard of anyone being like, we are going to build a Twitter competitor until threads came out. So it's just really fascinating that like, maybe that's why people are excited about it too is Instagram is known for being an aesthetic app and they kind of threw that out the window with threads. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And I also agree with you that it's the right moment when you were saying yeah. like finally a win for Mark Zuckerberg. It absolutely <laughs> is, the, is the moment. So I'm someone who left Twitter since Elon Musk took over. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to being values driven, um, in the first 24 hours when he took over, there was a 500% increase reported in hate speech. And that I immediately flagged for me that I was like, I don't want to be a part of this platform. And just the kind of decisions that he was making, I maybe stuck it out for like a week or two, but I was just... I was like, this isn't a platform I want to build on. And I also genuinely believe like when you see business owners who like their entire business is based on Pinterest or their entire business is based on LinkedIn, like I am genuinely of the belief that one platform will not 
like saying this isn't a platform for me, going back to what we were talking about, like what mm. feels good to you in community, it's not going to crash your business. And so even though I run a marketing agency, I work with businesses, I work with brands, I work with influencers, we don't manage Twitter. Um, that was just a decision that I made. And the thing is that as Elon Musk was experimenting negatively, so I think, mm -hmm. creating that negative sentiment and mm -hmm. also making choices so that they weren't the breaking news platform. They weren't like yeah. this platform to create text-based community. And people were kind of saying like, well, we could go to LinkedIn, but you know, the algorithm mm -hmm. isn't really doing what we needed to do. Like there was kind of a list of things. And I just, I couldn't agree with you more um, about this being the right feature for Meta to roll out at this time. And the way yeah. they rolled it out too, going back to what you were saying about the secrecy, the FOMO, yes. again, learning from Clubhouse, starting with influencers and entertainers so that you were yeah. seeding all of your initial content. A hundred percent, I think that it was the right, it's the right feature at the right time. And also to your point, it fully builds out the Instagram experience because if you've mm. never felt invited to the cool kids table, if you've never bought brand photos, if you've never had highly produced reels, suddenly, if you're just kind of like the nerdy, mm -hmm. funny one, you can get all the traction and it's so exciting. You're point. like, oh, I got invited. That is such a good point. And um, I, in your article, I think you mentioned that they have like a way to see what kind of like when the person joined threads. Um, yes which is so fast, like what user they were, if they were like the first million or whatever it is. And um, the way they rolled it out, I think really was so fascinating. Like I, this is why I don't throw parties because this is not who I am. But I always say like, if you want to throw a party that everyone wants to go to, you can't say, oh my God, everyone come to my party, bring all your friends. You, you literally have to be like, oh, like I'm giving you an invite, keep it hush hush. Like if you want to bring someone, like run it by me first. Like it's very secret. Everyone's going to want to go to that party because now, even if they don't want to go, they want to show the social status that like they were one of the secret ones invited, even if everyone was invited. But like having yeah. that secret, like you can come if you want, like, but like don't tell anyone that makes it like people want it even more. And I think threads did that in that first, there was like a way that if you just looked up threads, like it was like, if you know, you know, like I heard from yep. someone, if you search threads, this little ticket comes up on the Instagram app and you click it. And then it was like this, I felt like I was going into a speakeasy, like a virtual speakeasy bar. And I was like, oh, I'm one of the cool kids because I'm here first. And I think that added that like excitement level. And I think that's where, what we're seeing right now with the honeymoon phase where people are like really excited about it and really positive because they're yes. like, I, I got it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's so interesting. And I want to go into as well until I get into your article because I have some questions. Um, kind of what you were talking about with Elon Musk um, and Twitter. So I just grabbed a few facts. I never really liked Twitter for my own. Like I like to use it to see what was happening on the news, but I never had an yes. account because like at least for me working with influencers and stuff on the back end, like I just never felt like anything good came from Twitter. I'm like... I've never heard of anyone being like something really positive happened to me because of Twitter. It was always like hate comments to them or like also just public figures being really dumb and spreading hate speech themselves and then it coming back to bite them. I'm like, I don't know. I just I just personally like wasn't I did see the value of it for like news sites being able to break stories quickly without needing photos. And but anyways, I'm trailing off. I'm going to get into what. I read a TechCrunch article since Elon took over. Um, yeah. So a couple, I think, in my opinion, missteps. Um, 
limited the amount of tweets a user can read in a day, which is like, it's almost like they want Twitter, I think in a last ditch Hail Mary effort to be like a subscription service where Mm -hmm. you almost have to like subscribe to view, which is odd. And like people that are unverified as well can only read 300 tweets a day. They since upped it because of pushback. Also, Tweets are very quick. If I could even just watch 300 videos a day on a For You page, I don't even know how much I watch a day, but that feels little, especially for Twitter. I, by the way, I'm going to jump in on this because you said yes, you can jump please. in. So I originally saw Taylor Renz do a TikTok on this. And Love I literally her. commented, imagine Arab Spring with a tweet limit. Like, you're so competitive advantage was the fact that whenever anything in the world broke, or candidly, imagine the protests after the murder of George Floyd with a tweet limit. (gasps) I've actually also seen Brittany Packnett Cunningham talk about how it's completely dismantled Black Twitter, and she thinks that that might be intentional, and I think she's right. But when you think about every significant, like, how I've seen Twitter used for good was, like, the times when there are stories that were not covered in the news. So as you'll remember, after the murder of George Floyd, there were so many stories of unarmed black people who had been murdered by police and nothing had happened. Mm -hmm. And because there was no tweet limit, we saw these stories really, like we saw the hashtags and we saw them for, for, for name after name and for person after person. And can you imagine if during this like really significant moment and culture shift in American history, if there had been a tweet limit, I mean, literally he's removed the relevance and the significance of Twitter. Um, I even remember, so I had joined Twitter back in like 2008. Um, it was my first job. I was doing social media management and it was literally when like the youngest person on the team of the Facebook was doing social media management wherever they were. Right. I was 22. Yeah. They I was just, like, yeah. Um, yes. and I had seen some positive things come from it again when I was an editorial, sometimes okay. really cool people would tweet out my articles. I would make connections yeah. because Twitter was a place where people would share my articles. It was fun. Um, and I know that there were some people who found community there, but Everyone who I know, again, who has seen transformative positive impact from Twitter, it's been around the way that you can disseminate breaking news. That's so Um, true. And so removing that, you're literally removing the differential value out of the platform. And so again, getting back to the right product at the right time, like the fact that almost like um, Twitter opened up this real estate and said like, we're not your Mm -hmm. trusted breaking news platform. And it was then kind of like Instagram like hopped into the party and they're like, hey, come to our secret speakeasy where we can be your breaking news platform. Yes. And that you make such great points. I'm glad. That's why I love having like different perspectives because I would have never thought of Twitter that way. Like really the – I remember I was in college – I graduated in 18. So I was in college in like the early 2010s. Oh, damn. I'm 10 years older than you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I used to lie on my resume. Not lie. I just would omit when I graduated because I wanted people to think I was older. So I wouldn't get passed up for jobs. I'd be like, graduated, like not going to say the year. But anyways, I am. So I remember Twitter being where the news broke. And um, Facebook also used to have like a column where they would just say like what the news that was breaking, like 10 stories or whatever. And that is so useful for like, um, you know, generations who aren't necessarily watching the 6 p.m. news. Um, And also, like you were saying, I think it makes so much sense. I remember um, in L.A., I was at one of the um, George Floyd Black Lives Matter protests and people were using Twitter to let others know where police were like to like move down certain streets so that you weren't going to be 
Um, they were like mass arresting protesters and stuff like that. So it was a way to like organize these events without oh, I would the news. Obviously, the would Twitter was that. invaluable for organizing. Yeah. It was yeah. invaluable for organizing. And depending on how you want to assign motive, some people think mm-hmm. that it's intentional that that um, has been stripped from the platform. Yeah. And that leads me to a few more points too from this TechCrunch article because it starts with like, oh, like, um, you know, limits and character limits. And then it gets more sinister. And like, you made a great point where the 300 reading a day is honestly kind of sinister. But um, so one more legal thing is like, for example, uh, Twitter is being sued by music publishers because unlike Meta and TikTok, they'd never got music licensing deals. Um, And then Oddly, this fact like stood out to me. Twitter is late on three months of rent to its Boulder, Colorado office, which I didn't even know they were had an office in Colorado, but they got an eviction notice. I think it's just showing there maybe motives behind these Hail Mary attempts to like have people pay to play kind of thing. And then um, this is where it gets starts to get very dark as well. Yeah. Twitter quietly removed a policy that prohibited misgendering trans people. And for me, Twitter, I personally think is just like, especially since Musk, it feels like it has become um, an almost like an extremist platform. Like I almost think of it would be and then like like you said, like Musk, I think him getting buying it really did mark when those extremists were like, oh, okay, like our like our team captain yeah, didn't is here. Work, Truth Social didn't work. Let's hop over to Twitter. Yes. Like, okay. Like we have like the go ahead and Musk always kind of plays with his words, but in my opinion, he like, and I don't know, but like from what I've observed, I do think that he kind of secretly gives like green lights to certain groups of people like this behavior is okay. And removing a yep, policy okay. that's a dangerous thing again is being like, I'm giving you the green light. Like I'm okay with that behavior. If anything, like, this is the platform to do it. And I don't know if that's intentional to be like, you guys are safe here. Like, this is where you can do that. It behavior. actually, it kind of brings our conversation full circle because he pretends that he's floating in the ocean in the interest of free speech. Mm-hmm. But it's the exact point that you raised earlier, that if you are not protecting a community, you are actively abandoning them. Exactly. A friend to it's all is a friend to none. Made earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes those free now, floaters are the most dangerous because you – Yeah. Now, here's what yeah. I will say just to be devil's advocate really quickly. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine is very well connected with some people who are heavily building at Twitter. Um, and they've really been a devil's advocate in my life. They've said, like, don't count Twitter out. Elon okay. really is building an integrated super app that's going to, like, change the face of how we do things. And that's why he doesn't even give a you-know-what <laughs> about, like, who's winning the social media – game because the the people who believe in Twitter right now and not in a sinister way okay. believe that like Elon's vision of the landscape is so like that he's looking so far beyond the field that that's why he doesn't care if he's giving up all of this real estate. Um, I don't personally subscribe to this perspective, but I do think if we want to have a well-rounded podcast, it's yeah. helpful to mention that there are some people who would make that argument. Again, totally. as someone who's values driven, I think that if we hurt marginalized populations to get to where we're going, I don't want to go there. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And that always happens throughout history. Like, have we learned our lesson? Everyone talks about America's this powerhouse. Uh, We were built on a cotton economy that used like slavery. Like it was. And the the same thing. Exactly. Like it's, there are these like, you know, and I mean, 
I do like that devil's advocate that you bring that up too. And like to that, I would say, I'm sure those conversations happened prior to like 48 hours ago, but to that, it's like, would they be suing meta if they were really not that worried about other platforms or would they be like, that's our old toy. You can have it. I don't care anymore. So that's, you know, just something well, to here's know. What's interesting too, the person who told me that like Twitter is where they would stake all of their money three weeks ago is on threads. Oh my gosh. They're getting Intel. No, that's funny. Um, no. Another, another thing that like was interesting in this TechCrunch article <clears throat> since Musk had become the leader was that um, Twitter marked NPR as a state affiliated media. I'm which aware. Is, and then NPR left. And what? And NPR left as a result. Right. They were the first news organization to stop posting on the platform. Um, so that's interesting. And then, so those were just some Twitter things that I think I'm trying to set the tone of like why, um, why Meta decided to kind of go into this market that was now missing. Also, I know we're going to 45. Do you have till the end of the hour? I do. But if not, I do. We can, I have, I have okay. I want to be aware. <laughs> I, okay. day for you. I do love hanging with us. <laughs> yes. I love podcasting on Fridays too. Cause it's like sometimes a little bit more available, but um, okay. So with all that context there, and we had great yeah. discussions on Twitter, now I want to dive into your article. And one thing that you said is like a saying that I really loved was your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Can you evaluate yeah. on that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually the perfect um, kind of segue from Twitter, because what I was saying about that specifically is that the sentiment towards Twitter has become so negative. So like yeah. what you were saying about like, I don't even know what the value of Twitter is. All I know is that people yeah. get bullied and docs and it's terrible. And, um, you know, now they're charging people. So like, when we look at, again, the landscape and the timing of this launch and everything that was well executed about it, you have Twitter, who they're competing with, whose um, brand sentiment is really going down. Mm -hmm. Then you have Instagram, which here's what's really interesting. And again, it goes back to a point that you raised earlier, which is that when Instagram first kind of shifted, it kind they kind of took away like our security blanket. So like we kind of knew what Instagram was. It was the photo mm. platform. It was based on the social graph. It was a place where yeah. you could go and look at food photos and like pretty influencer photos. And it was, it was very comfortable. Yeah. And when Instagram made the shift to short form video and they changed their algorithm, not mm. just when they changed it from chronological, but when they changed it to more of the suggested accounts, when they changed it so that literally so another one of my favorite, I know we talked about Taylor Runs, another one of my favorite people on social media to follow is um, Leah Haberman. Like, I feel like Ooh, her newsletter is a must read for anyone who cares about anything in social media. Okay. Um, I remember um, an article that she shared that said that travel photographers on Instagram, when the shift happened to short form video, that their photos had 50% less reach than they had the week before. Imagine 50% less reach on a platform that you've spent years building on. So when we talk about sentiment again, we know that a lot of people who just kind of like enjoyed Instagram actually fell out of love with Instagram around a year ago. They were frustrated. They were pissed. They were like, why has my photo platform yeah. with my friends become wannabe TikTok? Why yeah. do I have to create well-executed short-form reels for anyone to see what I'm doing? Why is a third to a half of my audience missing everything that I post? So there was like a lot of people who were disenfranchised with Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then again, and this is really anecdotal just from being in the space, I have heard several people over the past 30, 60, 90 days say that like they're coming back to Instagram. Kind of like mm -hmm. they were like frustrated. They didn't like the push for short form yeah. video. 
But now a lot of people are kind of saying like, you know what? Like I'm kind of vibing with Instagram again. I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm kind of posting there. So it's also again, like, you know, whenever a brand or any relationship comes back into your life and there's been like a little bit of time, if they can come back with a new, extremely relevant offering, you're like, oh, like now I'm like, you're kind of stacking that prior affinity with this new exciting thing. And you can almost kind of eradicate that icky in between Mm. so that it becomes more like rekindling you know what I mean? So I think that the brand right now has shifted from like, to your point, a space of fear, a space of TikTok Mm. wannabe a year ago of Instagram doesn't know what they're doing. I hate Instagram to like, oh, like Instagram actually, you know, they're the ones who like, are creating the the space that I want to be in. They're creating the party I want to go to. And that's an amazing brand for them to have. Yeah, because Instagram really was struggling. And I think yeah. fairly, like I also, there's um, there was a 60 Minutes Australia news clip that came out, I think like a year and a half ago with a whistleblower from Meta. And um, just yeah. like the, you know, we're, hounding on musk but meta has had very similar missteps in different ways and um i know that was very off-putting and i think that they needed to find like something new and again i think a lot of their especially more so on instagram was that and i i mean i don't always like agree personally when people say like oh you know everything is perfect and so it's leading to me like i'm always like you know the internet really just makes everyone like more of who they are. So like if you're, you know, dealing with problems of insecurity and jealousy, like it's more likely that I feel like those things are going to happen when you're online. But like if you're at a healthy place, you attract and you seek out healthy stimulus. But, um, but I do think that Instagram had that problem. And again, like them going to a platform where there's no photos. I mean, there's, I think like in, in your article mentioning like maybe gifts and stuff, but, um, it totally just goes the opposite. And like, we already made that point. So I just love like bringing that up again. But another thing in your article that I want to touch on, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, but like comparisons to app like Clubhouse. And I want you to like, kind of just touch on that for me because I personally didn't use Clubhouse, but I do feel like what you, I know what it is and I saw clips of it online, but um, it does to me almost feel like that companionship over entertainment thing if it was only audio. I couldn't agree with you more. And it does go back to a point that we touched on earlier, which is that when you have an app that eliminates the requirement for video, you can fully integrate it into your daily life. So one of the things that was really incredible and revolutionary about Clubhouse was the fact that you would throw in your AirPods and then it could be a seamless experience. You could be brushing your teeth and listening. You could be making breakfast. You could go out for a run. You could go to the grocery store. You could push your kids in a swing. And you are on Clubhouse experiencing the app the entire time. Obviously, if you're on an app where you need to be creating videos, um, you need lighting. You need need all these different things, right? And so when we see this kind of resurgence back to a text-based app, it's actually, there's even a higher capacity to be integrated into daily life um, because you don't even need good sound quality. So one of the things about yeah. Clubhouse is that if you're somewhere really loud, you couldn't unmic. But mm-hmm. you can literally, as long as you have an internet connection, you can be on threads from absolutely anywhere, which is one thing. The other thing that I'll say is that um, to your point of kind of how one experience builds on the other on the internet, 
a lot of the clubhouse early adopters are on threads. And that's another thing that I talked about. Like I didn't necessarily, they maybe like gave Clapper a second look, but there are significant issues with that app. Um, They might've heard of Lemonade, but they couldn't decide whether or not to sign up. So like they're aware, right, of all of these little kind of new social media apps popping up, cropping up. Again, I think the fact that it is from Meta and connected to your Instagram profile not only makes it frictionless, but gives it immediately credibility. Yeah. Um, But so the other thing is that you have these Clubhouse super users who were just kind of like sharing what they thought and connecting with all these new people on audio. It's new. It's fun. It's a shiny new toy to do it over text. But they're used to building that, to your point, that instant companionship. And they're all on this platform looking to build companionship. So I think it's super relevant. Yeah. And I, and that you make a good point about like early adopters. And that's a question I get a lot is yeah. how do you know? Because for me, like my background, I was, I got hired at a job and um, they would interview like very young musically stars. It was famous birthdays. We had like a 12 year old audience. And um, okay. I got hired to help run the musically, which was then transitioning into TikTok. They rebranded. So I have experience with like working on an app when it's new. And so many people say like, how do you know, like, how can you be in that first group? And to that, I say like, one, it's always great to be an early adopter. Like Mm -hmm. that's always a good thing to just experiment. But the reason that I didn't feel like Lemonade and Clapper were going to do good or, Mm -hmm. I mean, I could be wrong. They could have a moment later. So you never know. But the number one almost the number one factor that every platform that's big now had in the beginning was a huge pushback. Maybe not from everyone, but like it's because they're doing something disruptive. And I think even with threads, like on the video I made, probably 70% of the comments are people very critical of threads and not knowing if they want to use it. And um, yeah. And like I was at a conference in Miami a couple months ago and I got asked on one of the panels, what do I think of Lemonade and Clapper? And I was like, honestly, like, I'm sure they're cool, but like, they are really not doing anything super different. And like Lemonade was like Pinterest, TikTok, whatever, made by TikTok. However, like they're, because I didn't hear anyone aggressively mad at these apps, they're not going to take off. Like, I just feel like they're not relevant enough for people to even care enough to care they're not relevant and they're not disruptive enough. Like people feel comfortable with things that they understand. And so like, if your app isn't going to have some sort of learning curve, then you're not doing anything different in a way. So like, and then I think with threads, it's not like necessarily a learning curve. It's just that people weren't expecting it from meta and people are like, why do we need another Twitter? Like when everyone's in the short form video race right now, but I'm like, that's exactly why it's going to succeed because it's filling a gap that no one knew that we needed filled um, by Meta specifically. But yeah, I always think like a way well, to and here's, know but here's actually what's really interesting is that <clears throat> ironically, I would actually come from the opposite perspective Ooh, of you. I want to hear. Version, which is really <laughs> interesting. Like I know that you're saying like there's a lot of pushback and that's why I think it's going to be successful. But yeah. to kind of reiterate something that I said earlier – I actually think the level of positive sentiment is why it's going to be successful. So Uh, like with Clapper, literally even people who are like, oh, I think Clapper is going to be big. Like the For You page was disgusting. It was literally disgusting. And so you couldn't go like there, everyone who was like promoting Clapper would be like, listen, just bear with the fact that the algorithm serves you disgusting videos at first. It's going to get better. 
Um, so like people would be like, if so, like people would sign on and what would come up on their for you page, like it wouldn't make you feel good in your body. And like then candidly, the same thing was happened it like with sexual? Eight. It was just gross content. Like it just okay. wasn't good. Like the for yeah. you page was just like you were like, I don't Bizarre. I don't want to spend time here. Like all of us know that time is our most valuable asset. Yeah. And so in Clapper, you didn't want to spend time there because it was gross. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like poor quality content. And candidly, okay. if I wanted to ever like, if we ever wanted to do like a podcast after dark, we could talk about all of the platforms that it just need to change their talent because the content is yeah. freaking terrible. But yeah. that'll sink your that'll sink your emerging platform. There are other platforms <laughs> we could talk about with that. Yeah. Um. So they had gross content, so yeah. people didn't want to hang around. And then Lemon Eight, unless you were being pushed out by TikTok, and unless you hit your initial post on the head with your aesthetic, you got no engagement. So for me, the reason why both of these platforms like flatlined out of the gate is because they immediately told you they were a time waster. They were either going to serve you gross content or get you no engagement. And why would anyone spend time on either of those? Whereas again, going back to the fact that threads is connected to Instagram, you have instant community. We all know that dopamine hit when it's like follow, 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 follow. And the fact that so many people opted into the mass follow button means that unless you have no followers on Instagram, it's going to be hard for you to be on threads and see zero engagement. You're going to have followers. You're going to have engagement. That's going to feel good. Going back to, again, the fact that everyone's trying to, like, be witty and funny and have fun and, like, keep it light and all this other stuff. So, like, the time that you spend there is going to feel good. Mm -hmm. As humans, we lean into what feels good. So it's so interesting to me that you're like, I think it's going to be successful because of the pushback. And I literally look at it. I'm like, I think it's going to be successful because people say that it feels good to be there, which is so interesting to me. So, yeah, no, that's a great point. For me, the pushback I'm thinking of is people who haven't downloaded it. Like, maybe I should define pushback is more so like a resistance where people are like, like, I maybe correlate that because like with TikTok, when I was um, on TikTok professionally for a couple years before I made my own account, um, it was back when it was just like a dancing app and all this yeah. stuff. And um, anytime, I remember this one girl I knew in college, I tweeted something about working on TikTok at my job and she subtweeted and was like, this is back when I had a Twitter for like six months. And then um, yeah. she subtweeted and was like, adults who are on TikTok are certified weirdos. And I oh, remember God. internalizing that and being like, this is going to hurt me professionally. I was only like 23, my first big girl job. And I was like, no one's going to take me seriously if I go to apply for a job somewhere else and I have TikTok on my resume. But then a couple months later, and but then but then I was seeing evidence against it because um, I was inviting in people like Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Ray to interview. And one of Charlie D'Amelio's videos on the YouTube at Famous Birthdays got like 40 million views. And I was like, maybe there's something here. Like, I was like, you know what? I'm not a weirdo. Like, there's something here. Yeah. But, and I think yeah. here's what I'm realizing that you're saying. I think that actually the differentiation is internal versus external. Because again, right. so like, I always lurk on social media before I join so that like if any of my clients want to join a platform, I can be like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know it succeeds yeah. there. I know what's trending. So I lurked on, on TikTok all through COVID. And again, when you joined the platform, it felt good. Unless you had a screwed up for you page, like you would just see like people dancing, the sense of yeah. community, people making bread, like, you know, the, like it was, it was like a, an, I've even seen people be like, can we go back to 2020 TikTok where it was just I like, know. you know, dancing and voiceovers and, and bread and whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, the coffee, the different coffee variations, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know how it was. But like, foamy, um, there's a coffee I made, the whipped coffee was like the thing. Every, yeah. Like it was like, are you making this coffee? Are you, do yeah. you have your sourdough starter? Are you doing this dance? Um, so I think 
maybe we're learning maybe we're learning that like the secret formula is that the sentiment of the people on the app is that it feels good and the yes. sentiment of the people who haven't joined is that they're so suspicious resistant um yeah and that's to your point again we are seeing people who are like i will never join threads because i'm against meta i don't want to give mark zuckerberg any more of my data i all these different things so like maybe that's the secret sauce that the people on it feel good when they spend time there and the people not on it are like I would never spend time there. And maybe that's like the culture clash that makes it explode. Yeah. Cause it's, it's starts conversations and it's like, yeah. And, um, and I want to also like state too, that the resistance from the outside can't be like, it can't be that the app is just like, like awful or pushing hate speech. Like that's different when someone's like, I don't want to be on 4chan. Like I like say would never yeah. like, you know, but so yeah, I totally. think it's more so when people are like, that's a kid's app. I'm like, Usually, like, what kids are doing is what's going to be relevant in a couple years when they're all, like, the 18-year-olds everyone's marketing to. Like, right now, Roblox, like, Jet Alpha. Like, that's a whole other podcast conversation that, like um, – but I want to get into now, like, the impact. And so okay. one thing I think of, and I'd be interested to hear kind of your opinion, is, like, I think that Zuckerberg, or at least his team, has always been really smart with, like, tying your – use of the apps into like a utility. And so what I mean by that is in the early 2010s, I don't know if you remember this, but Facebook came up with this feature that now Google and iCloud do where if you downloaded any other app, you could log in or create an account using your Facebook sign-in. So I totally like, remember that. Right? I remember yeah. I had a like dead Facebook account for years from college that I didn't delete. It's probably still there because it was tied to so many apps on my phone that I didn't want to like have to make new accounts. And I think that they're really good at that. And I think that that's exactly what they did with threads. I think there's a couple of reasons, but like by making it just your already existing Instagram account, like it's again, tying you into another app that like now you're kind of codependent on Instagram in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, to your point, it takes away all the decision points of a sign up because yeah. how many times have you gone to sign up for an app and you have to pick your username, and you have to pick your photo and you have to write your bio and you have to pick your link. And even if it's the same on every platform, each one of those are a decision point that are going to make you decide, do I want to sign up for this? Don't I want to sign up for this? Yeah. But Threads was one click. Do you want to import everything? Cool. You're in there. You're good. Yeah. Um, so that was super smart. Um, and again, I... I just agree with absolutely everything that you're saying, that they are being super intentional with how it's integrated. And it's, yeah. and it's smart. And it's not surprising that it would take off. And I heard some people say, like, you can't delete your thread unless you delete your IG. And I'm like, unless you're saying things that are, like, really dicey. Like, I, I mean, also, I think this just comes – me and my friend Nikki always talk about how – we truly believe in like the art of someone becoming famous after their frontal lobes have developed like 25 and up is like the sweet spot because you're like self-actualizing you know who you are in some ways and like less likely to say things that you're not going to stand behind whether they're right or wrong but like I don't necessarily have a fear that anything I'm posting on threads will exist 10 years from now because I'm not saying anything that's like mean like I don't know and I saw some comments on my video where they're like I was like, yeah, like the, you know, being anonymous, I personally think leads to more meanness and um, like, look at Reddit. Like I use Reddit every day to like look for news articles, but like I've seen some of the most heinous conversations about people on Reddit, like, and yeah, they have mods, but it still is just like a really, really toxic app, I think in some ways, but beside the point, like 
I think when people have to answer for what they've said, they're less likely to be like super critical for attention. And people are saying like, did you see Facebook 10 years ago, whatever. Yes, especially around the election, it got crazy. I got in some fights with family members that I stand by. But like, Mm -hmm. I think that back then though as well, like I think TikTok expedited this where now everyone's a public figure. But back then, even on Facebook, yes, our identity was tied into it. But I don't think people had seen the repercussions yet of having to answer for everything you say. Like we really only associated celebrities with needing to be um, more conscious of their words. But now I think everyone feels like at any point you could be like a regular citizen. And if you say something heinous, it could go viral and like people can find you and make you answer for it. So I think people are a little more aware of that now. What do you think? First of all, it's so funny that you said that because literally something that I put out on threads is like I asked people what a defining moment in them understanding social media was. And I reference has Justine landed yet on Twitter, which if you don't know that moment in pop culture history, we can dive into it in a future podcast. It's like a very long story short. A woman tweeted something that was completely inappropriate and then went on an international flight before international flights had Wi-Fi and her entire life exploded before she landed. And it was a moment where people understood virality, cancel culture, personal branding, all these different things at a level that they never would have expected before because everyone watched her life implode while she was on this airplane. Um, And so I think we have known for some time um, since then, if you're paying attention to social media, that like cancel culture actually can happen and you can be held accountable for um, your actions. And again, we don't have the time to dive into cancel culture versus accountability versus Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. It's a a very extensive conversation. Yeah. I absolutely love and resonate with the point that you made that perhaps the fact that it's tied into our Instagram accounts will make it a um, lovelier space. And again, where people can really find those people who they align with um, because hopefully people won't want um, to be connected to saying something heinous. I will say Instagram released like um, some official statements since that came out and they have said that like, and there's a difference between like deleting and deactivating that apparently like you can deactivate threads, you can delete individual posts. Like there are all of these things that you can do. You can remove your number from your profile. So like, it's true that you can't delete the threads app, but you can do all kinds of different stuff to like remove threads yeah. from your Instagram profile if that ends up being something you want to do. Yeah. I had to uh, delete a thread yesterday because I was like, sometimes I'll be like holding, I need to not do this, but sometimes I'll be holding my phone while I like walk around my house and do chores. And I was talking to my boyfriend and then I looked at my threads up after and it was so random, but I had, um, just, I guess like threaded, I I guess that's a new word threaded. Um, like it was just like three rat emojis. And I was like impressed that my (laughs) thumb even hit like that in coat. And I was like, we were going to think this is like a subtweet and not that I have like anyone I would subtweet or whatever sub thread, but I was just like, I delete it. I was like, what? but like sometimes that'll happen where um, yeah. I, I stopped doing it, especially since my TikTok got verified. Um, and I used to run like corporate accounts, so I would always be careful. But like if I'm walking around with my phone and I'm watching TikToks and I put it down, I'm always afraid that like this, someone's going to be like, it's going to be a serious video and I'm af- accidentally going to like comment a laughing emoji or something. Cause like yeah. that's my most used emoji and I'm always on my phone. So I always have to be aware of that. But I'm saying that to say, that um, you can delete threads because I had to delete three rap emojis last night. So that's not something to be afraid of. But um, yeah, and then I guess that's, um, and then like, 
and if there's anything we miss that you want to talk on, I know you kind of compared it to TikTok and like the discoverability and the feel of the for you page. And if you want to touch on that, or if there's like anything else about threads and you think it's impact that we haven't touched on. Yeah, I think the final thing that I would say that I think is really relevant to people listening, I would imagine is on the topic of repurposing content. Um, so first of all, I think that there's an extraordinary opportunity, like a lot of people before threads drop are kind of talking about like, save your best content. You're going to have the opportunity to repurpose it as tech space. You're gonna have the opportunity to access a new audience. But one thing I would recommend is don't just like launch into making it a repurposing platform. I really right. think that with any new platform, you want to take time to yeah. observe, connect, get the vibe. I will be candid with you that I've already seen people who it looks to me like it's like it's like they might as well have just added the additional column to their later. Like I yes. see the real. It's on TikTok, it's on YouTube, it's on Instagram, and now it's on their thread. And I think that that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, we don't know yet what content will resonate on threads. Yeah. Um, and so my greatest suggestion to people who are like, I want to blow up on threads. Um, first of all, don't be thirsty. Second of all, yeah. don't just repurpose your content. Um, but like, I think genuinely, and, and the analogy of a party that you gave earlier was perfect. Like when you go somewhere new and you were saying this too about human nature, like I always say mm -hmm. online is real life. Like when people say IRL, yeah. online is real life. So to your point, like positive sentiment, hate groups, all these things that exist in real life also exist online mm -hmm. for better and for worse. And similarly, whenever you go to like a foreign country for the first time, you don't just like take over, I hope, yeah. right? You kind of like get the lay of the land. And so I think my strongest mm -hmm. recommendation, because I know that we're doing this in a timely fashion, is to like connect, play around, experiment, observe, yes. and be relational rather than transactional. And before you like decide on your thread strategy, people used to always ask me, and this will be kind of my, my final point, like what's your clubhouse strategy? How are you going to monetize mm -hmm. clubhouse? And I would always say like, I don't have a clubhouse strategy. I'm building relationships. Yeah. And if you genuinely believe that your network is your net worth, if you genuinely believe that there's no substitute for like who you're connected to in this world, if you go out there with the intention of just learning, leaning in and making mm. relationships, it'll be so much more valuable than if you lean into a monetization strategy from day one. Yes, that's such a great point. And like, there's a few points I want to touch on that you said. One, not just repurposing content. And I totally agree because my thing is like, why would your follower from TikTok follow you on threads if you're just posting the video they already saw 30 minutes ago? Like you have to add something else that makes them want to go watch you there. Um, and then also for um, the like listening and yeah, like I always use this one analogy. Whenever I'm consulting or talking to people, they're always like, what should we start posting out of the gate? And that's my job to like come up with ideas out of nothing. Yeah. But I also, also like, I also give the advice of you have to like, listen, every app has its own language. It has its own nuances and it's like going into a small gathering and it's a bunch of strangers, maybe one friend, you know, invited you and you wouldn't walk up to a group of cool kids that you want to be a part of with a megaphone and like mid conversation, start yelling, I'm the funniest person you'll ever meet. Please follow me. Please, please go buy my like stand up like comedy, like DVD. Like I, you're going to love it. You would get like exiled from that group. What you 100%. have to do is show up, even if you don't say anything the whole night, just listen, listen to what they're saying, listen to like, and if you have something of value to add to the conversation that no one else has said, then that's a good time to speak up. But like, it's so true with threads. Like 
really understanding how people are communicating. And again, this one's like, we haven't had enough time on it to really know like yet, but, um, I always say some of the most brilliant people I've worked with on social media strategy at some jobs I've had, they're the ones that have a private Instagram at 200 followers and they make the best decisions because they observe. Such an important point. I know we yeah. have to go, but I have to. Yeah, sorry. That. There's one more thing that I wanted to say. No, no, no. I am like fully locked into what you're saying. And this is like Thank the you. moment. Like for everyone who's still listening, this is the moment of the podcast that's going to change your Threads experience. Yeah. When you said like you're walking up to a party of the cool kids, never assume that you know who the cool kids are. That was oh. my biggest lesson from Clubhouse is that you would see people like kiss the ring of the influencers. And it was so obvious who was just there to like, and here's the other thing that was so crazy and to the point that you just made about like, you have no idea who actually is a person of influence. Generally, people of influence are lots of times they're the person behind the person mm -hmm. yeah. or the people in the background. Like one of the things that I tell my team all the time is like, we don't leverage personal relationships. So like generally when I'm spending time with influencers, I'm never posting pictures of them. Yeah. Nobody knows that we're like who, like yeah, who I'm spending same. time with because it's part of your value to like, so like, and I am so grateful to know so many knowledgeable people and none of them are flashy. Like yeah. none of them are flashy. And so what happens, and this is again, a big lesson from Clubhouse you would kind of see people's character early on when they would be one way with the people with like the very sexy, impressive profiles and profile pictures. And the people who are a little bit more muted, who are listening, who are watching, you would see people um, kind of like how you judge how people treat the waiter along yes. with how they treat people at the table. You would see people ignore the not flashy profiles, right? Or like just kind of like take a different yeah. tone with them, treat them like they were unimportant just based on what was there at face value, based on how many followers they had on TikTok or who was in their profile picture, yeah. whatever the case may be, right? But then what would happen is that apps go on for some time. So then it would be six, nine, 12 months later and people would know. They would know who was kind to absolutely everyone before they knew them from Adam. And they would know who was like sucking up to the flashy people. Yeah. Um, and so I just think this is a moment to like lean into your humanity and be mm -hmm. kind to every single human you can meet. Again, not just because it means that you're not going to be a jackass to someone who's really important. Um, yeah. Just do it because it's being a good person. But I will say that like it's a mistake that we see. Like I'm already seeing the threads that are like, who do you want to connect with? Like thread the people who you want to connect with because they're on here now. And I'm just like, to your exact point that you just made, like connect with the people in the room because you don't yeah. even know potentially who's there and who you want to connect with. And like that point that you made was so, 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 so important. There's no telling who you can connect with if you are warm, kind, open, and open to connect with everyone you meet.